turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. I'm so glad that you are joining me today for the show. And if you haven't heard the first two part of this series, this is a series on breast cancer awareness. And it's actually um, for anyone that is a caregiver or anyone that is struggling with someone in their life that has a debilitating illness, a, a long-term care issue, a, um, anything that is, is causing our lives to just stop and have to do a major battle. So this, this particular show is about compassion fatigue the previous shows were about the whole, the faces of breast cancer and what that journey of breast cancer looks like. So the process of breast cancer and what it means to go through it, to heal from it, survive it, to live it, and to move forward. And so today, the show is, Are You Called to Comfort? And this is for all of you caregivers out there. Now, many of us are called to comfort and some of us are called because we want to. Some of us need to. And some of it is both. Some of it is we didn't really want to, but we needed to. And as soon as we started addressing the need, we actually want to. Some of us really are called just to want to come alongside others with that empathy, with that endurance for the long journey. And so there are two reasons that we are called to be caregivers. And like we said, we may choose to. And we may have to. And sometimes it's simultaneous. And I'm hoping that as you go through this show with me today, you're able to understand what it means for you to be a caregiver and the kind of caregiver that you are and to not ever, ever judge the way you caregive, why you caregive, or how it feels for your own personal journey as a caregiver. Because every caregiver has a story just as big as the person that they are caring for. So what we want to think about is, as caregivers, we have two roles that we're doing. And one of them is we are helping somebody get through something. And the second one is that we are helping them to get on after whatever it is that we're getting them through. So some of us are caregivers in both parts of that. I, in my practice, I, I help people get through things, and then I help them get on with their life. And, and as other caregivers with, with, with terminal illnesses, with, with any type of, of debilitating battle that may have the potential for fatality, what we are doing is we are working on getting them through. If they get through, then we have to help them get on. And sometimes getting on 
is one of the hardest things anyone that survives cancer has to do, which in and of itself is a whole show. And so today we are talking about the getting them through it. And another show will probably talk about getting them on with their life. So we have Second Corinthians chapter first, um, chapter the first chapter of Second Corinthians, and it's chapter, um, it's chapter one. It's verses three and four. I'm sorry, I got a little distracted as I was reading the verse because it's it's a very meaningful verse. And whether or not you are um, a subscriber of any religion or faith, this is a super comforting verse. And it says, "Praise be to the God of all comfort." says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And what's important here is it does get a little, it can get a little tangled right here for some people because they may not experience God as a comforter. They may be angry at God. They may be frustrated that anybody that they know and love has to even go through this battle. So you may not see God as a comforter, but what I want you to understand is the, the person you're caring for sees you as a comforter. And so whatever faith or religion that you, you ascribe to, you want to be very sure that caring, comforting, empathy, coming alongside somebody is a very spiritual discipline, a very spiritual issue that walks itself out in a behavior, in a physical behavior. So when we think about the God of compassion, whether we've experienced him as that or not, what we do know is that we have compassion within us and that the compassion that we receive, the comfort that we receive, we then give to others that comfort that we have received. And so it's an important concept that we realize that we give to others what we've received. And if you're not receiving comfort as a caregiver, you need to make sure that you are having some ancillary um, help and support. And we're going to talk about that later on in the show, how to care for the caregiver. So I'm going to give you another verse that I really like, and it's Psalms 34, um, verse 18. It says, if your heart is broken, you will find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut... He'll help you catch your breath. And that's the message version. In the, in the NIV, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, it's a high calling to be a comforter. And it's a powerful, as an extension of the divine. And so it is, a, it is an energy drain when you are comforting others. It doesn't mean it's a negative energy drain. But it is a draining of energy, and it must be replenished through self-care so that you, you are able to give what you have received. And so if you can't comfort others to the degree that you would like, it may be because you are not receiving enough comfort yourself. So we have to be willing to receive what we are very willing to give. Because our energy in and of its own, in our own selves, is not sustainable. It has to be replenished. So care, comfort, and empathy, these are spiritual expressions done through natural behaviors. And so the need to continue the natural behaviors of caregiving must be replenished through spiritual endeavors, as well as receiving comfort and taking physical care of ourselves. 
So let's look at this for a minute. What does it really mean to be a caregiver? Because you may find yourself in this role, and you may find yourself doing things not realizing that you are actually being a caregiver. So what does it feel like to be a caregiver? Well, despite the sadness and shock of having a loved one with a terminal disease or or a a life-threatening illness or injury, one of cancer is is the one we're looking at today, Many people find personal satisfaction in caring for that person. So you may see it as a meaningful role that allows you to show love and support and respect for a person. It may also feel good to be helpful and to know that you're needed by a loved one. Now, there's nothing wrong with these feelings. These are the wonderful payoff of being able to give the gift of of mercy and grace and, and compassion and empathy. So you may find that caregiving enriches your life tremendously. And you might feel a deep satisfaction and confidence and accomplishment in caring for somebody. You also may learn about inner strengths and abilities that you didn't even know you had. And you might find a greater sense of purpose for your own life. So the caregiving role opens up doors to new friends and relationships too. And through a support group, you can get to know people who have faced some of the same kinds of problems. So caregiving also draws families together. And it helps all of us feel closer to the person who is needing our care. However, caregiving can also be very frustrating and painful because people caring for very sick patients may notice that their own feelings of severe sadness and emotional distress begin to increase. They can also develop physical symptoms like tiredness and trouble sleeping and depression and anxiety. And it's more likely to be a problem for caregivers who aren't able to get the support they need and who don't take care of themselves. So I have to, to let you know, if you choose to take on this noble role of caregiving, if you do not take care of yourself, you'll become a greater hindrance to the person you're trying to care for. And your experience of caring for this person that can be extremely enriching and, and just an amazing inspirational, motivational aspect of your own life will become more of a burden, a hardship. It'll become heavy, depressing, and you will end up storing up feelings of anger, resentment, frustration, sadness, grief, and loneliness. So pretty serious issues. You have to understand it's a very serious calling to be a caregiver for someone because there is a great risk for you. If you aren't really aware of what you're doing and how to manage who you are and how to care for who you are. Because caring for someone that's going through cancer treatment or any other um, life-threatening illness is a very demanding role. And being good at it certainly can give you a sense of meaning and pride. But you also need to understand that the strength and endurance is important and imperative in your role for as long as you are needed and as long as you choose to be that caregiver. So let's look at here for a minute. What does a caregiver actually do? Well, they have many roles, and you may find yourself doing some of the things that I mentioned, and maybe all of them, and maybe even more that I haven't even thought of. So what you want to understand is the roles change as patients' needs change. So during this progression of the cancer treatment, all the roles that you have may change, may alter, because caregivers serve many times as the home health aides and companions. And so if you are the person that lives with that person, then you are helping them at home as well as in any of the hospital or, or uh, medical settings. 
So you might feed and dress and bathe the patient. You might arrange schedules, manage insurance issues, provide transportation. You also may find yourself being a legal assistant, financial managers, housekeepers. You also end up taking over a lot of the duties of the person with cancer. And then you still have to meet the needs of many of your family members, yourselves, your friends, your job. So as a caregiver, you have a huge influence, and it's positive and negative on how the cancer patient deals with their illness. You have a great impact on them. So your encouragement can help that patient stick with demanding treatment plans and all the other steps that they need to take to get well, like eating healthy and meals or getting enough rest. And so one of the things that caregivers do is they solve problems. And, and when you start to hear me talk about the roles of a caregiver, you're going to understand how demanding this role really is. And I'm wanting you to walk away with a tremendous amount of respect for what this person does. And if this is you, great kudos to you because it is a phenomenal calling and it is a very needed position. And it is many times not recognized and not understood. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to talk about caregivers, their roles, responsibilities. Thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today we are talking about caregivers and caregiver fatigue or compassion fatigue is what it's oftentimes called. We are talking about what it means to be a caregiver, what that role looks like, and the high calling that comes with this role. And we talked about this verse in Psalms um, chapter 34, verse 18. It says, if your heart is broken, you will find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll, keep, he'll help you catch your breath. And in the New International Version, I love this one. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because we talked about this, um, ver- this uh, verse in 2 Corinthians about we comfort others with the comfort we've received. But this verse in Psalms 34, he is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit is so important because this applies to the person that is struggling to fight for their life, as well as for the caregiver who has to watch this fight. And how often you may be close to being brokenhearted or brokenhearted yourself over what they're going through and what it means. You also may feel yourself crushed in spirit with the weight and the heaviness of what you are attempting to do. And so we talked about this issue of what caregivers do. And we talked about in the last one that, that there's a myriad of, of roles that a caregiver plays. And one of the things that they do is they all, they do solve problems. And so many times when the issue that we're talking about today is cancer. And so many people with cancer, they face many new challenges. I mean, the, the medical industry, industry and, and atmosphere is changing dramatically every day. And so as a, as a caregiver, you're going to help that patient deal with all kinds of challenges that come up with that. You're going to look at ways to best prioritize and manage those problems. And you're going to first try to understand what the problem really is, as well as helping them determine what is their desired result. So caregivers have to be realistic, positive. 
They have to be careful and creative and focused. They also need to be flexible. And because they are being sources of strength and security for that person that is battling cancer. So for example, suppose the patient's white blood cell count drops. She develops a fever. She needs to be in the hospital. Well, this can be very upsetting and may be seen as a setback to you and the family. And so what a caregiver does is they help address the concerns by pointing out what the patient will need in the hospital. So they do very specific things. They might organize all the things, the doctor's prescriptions, what tests have been done, what need to be done. They, they may be involved in, in telling the hospital, the doctor, about an infection that they're seeing or what, the, what she's experiencing. Um, she may be making, the caregiver may make arrangements um, for, the, for the patient to stay on antibiotics at home. Um, they may help after the patient has, has left the hospital. They're going home with the patient. If you're a friend, then you're helping the people that are at home understand what happened. If, and, and what we're going to look at here is that caregivers are also part of a team. Because these kinds of tasks are way too much for the patient, but many times they are also too much just for one person. So it's important that you understand being part of a healthcare team. And that's made up of the patient, other family and friends, certainly the medical staff, doctors. If you're the primary caregiver, you want to make sure you are taking advantage of the rest of the people that are on your team. Because you're going to be doing those things like giving drugs, managing side effects, reporting problems, helping other family members and friends stay informed as to what's happening. So as a part of the team, you want to help coordinate that patient's care. Now, if you're a caregiver that is a part of a team, one of the best things you could do is really support the primary caregiver. So caregivers are very involved with the patient, and they get involved. You understand this better than anybody. You get involved with that person more than sometimes even a spouse does, unless the spouse is the primary caregiver. And so your job is also to involve the patient as much as possible in their own care. So if that means you go to the nurses, the caregivers that are at the hospital, the case managers, that you are making sure that you are running interference and saying, this, my friend, my spouse, my daughter, my son, who my child is needing to be informed and needing to be involved. Because we want to also help that, that patient feel like their life is as normal as possible. And this can sometimes be very arduous, very difficult. We also want to encourage that patient to always be sharing their feelings. We want to support their efforts to share. We don't ever judge their feelings or judge what they are experiencing, even if they are experiencing that everybody is against them. So we want to remember that people communicate in different ways. And so sometimes we use gestures, expressions, a touch, Sometimes it's really hard for them to say what they're feeling. Sometimes they don't even have the energy to say how they feel. So sometimes just a gesture or holding hands helps to tell them how we feel toward them. We really want to take our cues from the person with cancer. If you're the primary caregiver, you really want to understand that some people are very private when they go through this and want absolutely no attention whatsoever. Even if you think it's better for them to have a lot of support, you really want to respect what they're going through. And so we want to be realistic and flexible. When you're the primary caregiver, you want to really be realistic and flexible about what you hope to talk about and what you can agree on with that person. 
So you may need or want to talk to them, but you may find out that 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 person that you're caring for does not want to talk about anything at any time. And you may have to really pace yourself. So we need to respect their, their need to be alone as well. Because sometimes they're so inundated with people and people touching them all the time that they might not get the time for solitude. So we want to ask them if that's something that they're needing when they're needing it. And we want to make sure that we create an experience and an environment that causes them to feel extremely comfortable with telling us what it is that they need. And sometimes you as the caregiver, you might have to recognize your need for some alone time, that you may need some solitude. So we're coming up to the end of this segment here. And I want you to know that if you can't listen to this show in its entirety, that you can go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can listen to the show uh, in its entirety. All you do is click on the radio link on, at the website, and you can find this show. Because the next, pretty much next half of the, this show, we are going to focus a lot on caregiver burnout, what the symptoms of burnout are, what to do when you get, feel burned out, what are the major stressors that caregivers have, how to manage those. And then we are going to really talk a little bit about, at the end, how you take care of you if your expectations are too high and how you deal with guilt. Because so many times caregivers have so much guilt that they are not allowed to talk about. And that guilt is that I haven't done enough. I haven't done it right. If the person succumbs to death, caregivers can feel so guilty that they they have not done enough. And then they can also feel angry about the fact that the battle was not won. So caregivers have, like I said in the beginning of the show, just as big of a story as the person battling the illness themselves. And it is a very important role. When it comes to caregiving, it's very important that you understand that caregivers can only give care if they receive care themselves. I'm going to say that one more time. Caregivers can only give care if they receive care themselves. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about caregiver burnout. Welcome back to Cynthia Hyatt and Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad that you joined me today. We are talking about compassion fatigue and what it means to be a caregiver, how to be a caregiver, what the meaningful benefits of being a caregiver, and also what happens if we're not receiving the care that we need as a caregiver. And the guilt and the anger many times that ensue once we have become a true caregiver and to understand a lot of those feelings and that experience. So we're going to start here at, the, at this second half of the hour on this issue of caregiver burnout. And how does that happen? And what are the symptoms? So caregiver burnout is a state of physical, emotional, mental exhaustion. And it may be accompanied by a change in attitude from a positive and caring toward the patient, toward the the role that you have, toward a negative and unconcerned or resentful feeling. So the reason we're bringing this up is I do not want any caregiver to feel guilty about feeling 
fatigued, resentful, frustrated, irritable, angry, sad, brokenhearted, any of these negative feelings that come with the arduous role of caregiving. It's a beautiful, wonderfully blessed role, but it is also a daunting role. So we need to understand that caregiver burnout is a reality. And one of the ways that this happens is understanding that my ability to give care is not sustainable. I have to be being constantly infused with the energy to continue to do it because I don't have enough in it, in me. It's kind of like an, an emotional bank account. And so if I don't have sources coming into the bank account, I will drain the account, go into bankruptcy, and eventually fall into bankruptcy. And so caregiver fatigue and burnout are like being in, in financial overdraft and eventually falling into bankruptcy. So what happens is it can occur when caregivers, like we said, don't get enough help that they need. They might try to do more than they're able, either physically, financially, emotionally, intellectually. And so when they are burned out, they're going to experience fatigue, stress, anxiety, depression, and all of those negative feelings that go with it. And oftentimes they feel guilty if they spend any time on themselves rather than on the ill or the, or the person, the, the elderly person or the, the terminally ill person that they are, they are caring for. Because they are so in tuned with the pain and the struggle and the battle that that patient has that they oftentimes feel super guilty if they have anything good for themselves at all. So one of the things that we want to really focus on is the most selfless thing you could do is infuse yourself with a bunch of wonderfully good, positive, loving, caring experiences. Because those go into that emotional bank account, accrue interest, and then you have so much more to give the patient that you love so deeply. So let's look at some symptoms, again, of caregiver burnout. Some of them um, are similar to the first stages of stress and depression. So just understand that when we get burned out, our system depresses, and our system is highly stressed on the way to burnout. So we are going to feel many of those same symptoms. So we might see a tendency of toward withdrawal from friends, family, and other loved ones, which is it's kind of backwards to what we want to do as a caregiver. We want to be moving toward our friends, our family, and loved ones so that we get the energy we need to be able to care for the person we're caring for. But when we are facing some burnout or too much stress, We have a tendency to move away from relationships because we're so exhausted from the person that we're taking care of that we end up moving away from the thing that we need the most. We also might see a loss of interest in activities. We might be feeling irritable, hopeless, helpless, kind of a blue lethargic feeling. We might have changes in our appetite. We may lose weight. We may gain weight because we may be eating as the only way to do self-care for ourselves or We may be gaining weight because we're not taking the time to give ourselves the food that we really need. We might have change in sleep patterns. We may have nightmares. We may not be able to go to sleep. We may really struggle waking up and feeling very sleepy during the day. We may may also get sick. So we may succumb to more illnesses ourselves, and allergies may hit us harder. We may get colds more often. We may get flus or whatever that is which makes us feel even more guilty because then we can't be there for the person we're caring for. So you actually, if you get real close to burnout and in burnout, you may have feelings that you want to hurt yourself or the person that you're caring for. And I say that because it's imperative that nobody out there feels guilty for having those feelings. 
you have to understand those feelings are a red flag. They're telling you something. We also get emotional and physical exhaustion and irritability. So when you hear all those symptoms, I want you to understand they're on a spectrum, on a continuum. So if you're at 100, we know that that's life-threatening. If you're at a 10, a 15, 20, up to 50%, that's the perfect time to intervene on yourself, to say, wow, I'm getting some symptoms of burnout and fatigue, and if I want to do the long battle, I need to make sure I'm getting some of what I need. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we finish this whole show on compassion fatigue. Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are finishing up this hour on compassion fatigue. So I want to start it with the verse that I really love, that I think is really um, so poignant for this whole entire topic. And this is Psalms chapter 34, verse 18. And it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I, I just think that fits so well. What it feels like, certainly if you're the patient that is struggling with a life-threatening illness, but it also fits the caregiver to know that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And when we are caregiving for someone who is in that size of a battle, we are always going to feel brokenhearted over what they have to go through, what they have to endure, that the fact that it's even happened to them. And then we're going to also understand that God says he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And these types of battles are crushing. They are crushing to us. So we want to realize, like it said in 2 Corinthians, that God is the, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and he comforts us with all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. So we receive that comfort from the Lord through people, so we have to understand that, that the, the calling of caregiving is a spiritual calling because empathy and mercy and caring and coming alongside, these are spiritual, esoteric issues and, and esoteric endeavors that we do. And we walk them out in physical behaviors, which is the act of caregiving. So if you've not been able to listen to this show in its entirety, I want to encourage you to go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, go to the radio tab, and that show will be a podcast there. Just look for the title, Are You Called to Care? Are You Called to Comfort? So let's look at this idea of this, this whole, what causes caregiver burnout? What causes this kind of fatigue? And so we want to understand that we, there's many things that can create some of the caregiver fatigue. And one of the main ones is role confusion. So many people are confused when they're thrust into this role as a caregiver. And it can be difficult to separate her role as the caregiver from her role as the spouse, the lover, the friend, the child, the, the neighbor, the whoever it is that you are that has put you in this position to be a caregiver. And so many times it's confusing to understand who we are when we are called to caregive and what our role is. And we may like abdicate the other role that we have. If we're the child, we stop being the child. If, if we're the spouse, we stop being a spouse. If we're a friend, we stop being a friend. And we need to know how to do those roles congruently 
and at the same time. So we also may have some unrealistic expectations on ourselves. That would be a big surprise, right? So many caregivers expect their involvement to always have a positive effect on health and happiness. And this may not always be realistic because you may be having to help this person or encourage this person to do things that they do not want to do that are very painful, very embarrassing, very frustrating, feeling shameful even because it's so exposing. And so it may not be a positive experience at all that you are helping them do. And we have to understand that we can't get our, our good feelings about who we are based on our performance and what we are doing for this person. We get our good feelings about who we are from our own worth and value. And then we, we really look at our behaviors critically and realistically and recognize that many times when we are helping people to live, there are many things that have to be done that are not positive at all or comfortable. And we may have to say things, and we may have to encourage things, and we may have to not say some things and understand that we don't want to have unrealistic expectations about how they're going to feel about us at any given moment. It also, one of the things that leads to some of this, this fatigue and, and burnout is that there's a big lack of control many times. So many times caregivers become really frustrated by the lack of money, the lack of resources, the skills to effectively plan and manage and organize their loved one's care. And so it may be very frustrating to feel so out of control when people don't follow through with things, when the resources aren't available, when you are scrambling to find things that you know are life-giving and you can't seem to get other people to come alongside and, and go do what they are saying that they were willing to do. There's also unreasonable demands many times. So some caregivers place unreasonable burdens upon themselves, in part because they see providing care as their exclusive responsibility. And so when you're the primary caregiver, it's hard sometimes to, to not recognize that, wow, I really do need to elicit the help of others. I cannot do this all on my own. And I also need to deal with my own unforgiveness or resentment when people let me down and when people don't care as much as I care. And that is a painful part of caregiving. And that is one that you can know God feels very close to you about because many times people don't care nearly ever to the degree about his people that he does. So then there are some other factors that, that may result to burnout. And sometimes caregivers can't recognize when they're suffering burnout and they eventually get to the point where they can't function at all. They become sick themselves. And this is a tragedy. This is why I'm doing this show today. I don't want anyone to succumb to this. It's imperative that we recognize that caregiving is a high calling. It's a beautiful thing. It can have tremendous life-giving um, just implications and experiences for the person that's giving the care as well as the person being cared for. And if it's done right and in a healthy manner, it can be one of the most rewarding experiences of your life. So how, how do I prevent this uh, burnout? Well, first of all, I want to make sure that if I'm the primary caregiver, I find someone I trust. A friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a therapist, a pastor, whoever it is that I can talk about my feelings, my frustrations when it comes to the care of this person that I so love. I also set realistic goals and I accept that I might need help with caregiving and I turn to others for the help with many and some of these tasks. And so I might use that trusted person to continue to run my goals by them to make sure that they're realistic. I'm going to be realistic about the, the disease that my loved one is fighting, especially 
if it's a progressive disease such as Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, or if it is a life-threatening disease such as the one we're talking about today, which is cancer. So I want to make sure I don't forget about myself while I am so busy caring for someone else. I want to make sure and commit even to the person I'm caring for that I will care for myself. I will take time for myself, even if it's just a 10 minutes, an hour, whatever that may be. But taking care of yourself, taking care of myself is not a luxury. It is a necessity because if I'm not caring for me, I can't care for the other person for any length of time. And then, like I said earlier, what if you talk to a professional as well as having a trusted friend, a coworker, another family member, include a professional, therapist, social worker, clergy, any of the people that are at the hospital, the case manager, take advantage of respite care services. So respite care provides temporary break for caregivers a lot of times. And this can range from a couple hours at home to a short stay in, an, in, in a, a care facility or assisted living. So you also, as a caregiver, what I need to know if I'm the caregiver, I need to know my limits. I need to do a reality check of my own personal situation. Where am I financially? Where am I emotionally? Where am I spiritually? Where am I physically? Where am I intellectually? And I need to know what my real world is about. I need to educate myself. So I know more about the illness of the person that I am taking care of. I also need to educate myself on ways that I can continue to care for me. Because remember, we cannot care for someone if we are not willing to receive care ourselves. I also want to make sure I develop tools for coping. So I remember to lighten up. I accentuate the positive and I use a lot of humor and I have a lot of commitment to positive thinking. This does not mean unrealistic thinking. This means giving my brain a vacation from how heavy the battle is. I commit to being healthy, eating right, getting exercise and sleep. If this means that while the person I'm caring for is resting and sleeping, I'll take a nap myself or I will go for a walk. I will go pet the dog, pet the cat, watch the fish in the goldfish bowl, whatever that may be, that I take that time. It also can help if I'm willing to join a caregiver support group. And you may be saying to me, Cynthia, it's no, not possible. I don't even have enough time to take care of myself. Why would I go to a caregiver support group? What I want you to understand about energy is that it exponentially multiplies. So if I get one of the people on my team to take three hours and watch the person that I'm caring for so that I can go and download with a group of other people that know exactly how I feel, you will be amazed at the amount of energy you have when you go back to caring. So let's look at some of these things that, um, that, we, that are the, like ultimate stressors and some, maybe some practical ways to tame them. So one of the ultimate stressors we talked about, which is, leads to caregiving fatigue, is the lack of control. So maybe I'm like, I feel stuck. I feel like I don't have any options. Nobody asks my opinion, and there's nothing I can do about this. Maybe you're feeling that way. Well, those types of feelings are when we want to really um, totally look at the team that we have that's working with us and helping us. And we want to be able to share some of those and say, you know, I'm just feeling stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know where else to go. I don't know no other place to get resources. Or I maybe need to go say to somebody, how come nobody cares about me? How come nobody's asking about how I might feel about what's going on with the person I'm caring for? I ask myself, is there anything I can do to change the situation? 
If I can, how do I assert myself in a healthy way? Can I say no? Am I moving toward a better situation, even if it's tough now? Are my expectations or standards too high? So let's look at what about uncertainty or fear? So I don't know what to expect. I don't know how I'm going to manage this. I don't know what disaster is waiting me tomorrow. I don't know how to help my friend, my lover, my spouse, my mother, my father, my child anymore. I'm running out of, I'm running out of resources. What if they die tomorrow? What if everybody's going to be mad at me because they think I'm not doing it right? So what you want to know is that knowledge is power. So I collect all the facts that I can. I collect others' experiences. I accept that I can't know and I cannot control everything. And this is where it's a spiritual issue. Where am I going to get some spiritual strength about the bigger picture? And can I break it down into bearable bits? So what about this? What about this next one? I have too little self-respect for myself. So you might think things like, I don't have time for myself. With all I put up with, I deserve this bag of chips or a pint of ice cream. And what if I think this? What, when is it going to be my turn? Or I hate myself. Many times you will find if you are sensing these things, you are not having enough respect for yourself and what you are doing and advocating for yourself. So if you're heading toward caregiver burnout, I want you to think about how very important you are, not only to the person you're caring for, but to the others around you and to yourself. And that this is not a battle that will be for a lifetime. There will be an end to that battle. There will be more that come after that battle. But it's getting through this battle that is imperative and living through it yourself not losing yourself in it, not harming yourself through it, not ending it poorly. So it is an ongoing management of this long journey and learning to pace yourself. So remember that in order to be a good caregiver, you must be willing to receive care. We know that the best way people learn is through example. If you want the person you are caring for to receive the best care, and to go with the program, to do the things that people are telling them to do in order to get better, you make sure that you're setting the example by doing it yourself. As the primary caregiver, you are showing that person you are caring for good self-care. So I pray for all of you that are caregivers. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And I pray blessings of endurance and hope and, and inspiration and motivation and and understanding how very, very needed, wanted you are, how very deeply loved you are. This is Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. Visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and I will see you in one more week. Replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.